rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. And welcome to Superman in the Bronze Age. I am one half of your hosting duo, J. David Weeder, and here with me to take you on a journey through the Superman adventures ranging from 1970 all the way to Crisis on Infinite Earths in 1986 is Mr. Charlie Niemeyer. Hey, everybody. Hey. And, of course, the show is brought to you by In Stock Trades, a mainstay of the collected edition market. In Stock Trades has over 13,000 individual trade paperback, graphic novel, and hardcover titles in stock and ready to ship, all at great discounted prices. And most orders ship within 48 hours. And orders over $50 ship for free. Find them on the web at www.instocktrades.com where you can see the DC Celebration continuing, get the new 52 number 5 issues in a bundle for 50% off, and DC books are 40% off through the end of November, which is up from 38% off. And as always, shipping is free on orders over $50, so get your DC books, get some nice Bronze Age Superman books for your collection. Yay! Hooray! I highly recommend it. Yes. And then, look, it sounds like we have an email this week, Charlie. We do, and this is written by our good friend Steve Rogers, Captain America himself. Because it wouldn't be reading a Steve Rogers email without me making a crack about the fact that that's Captain America. But anyway, uh, his email, he wrote us just the other day, in fact, and it says, uh, the subject is, wait, does this mean Darkseid will be making appearances on the show now? I mean, after all, this is his debut era. And does this mean Angie and David's wife? I know her name, just David has never spoken yet on the show, and I've got gotten in hot water a couple of times blurring the lines between what I know of someone's personal life and the cyber one, so I don't want to come off as forgetting someone's name. That is a run-on sentence. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> We'll be doing the tag on alternating episodes? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, uh, we don't know yet. <laughs> we make this stuff up as we go along. Yeah, yeah. We'll probably just kind of come up with a, uh, a tag on our own so we can promote our our other stuff, and then. Uh, but we'll try to have other ways to bring in the wives. Um, at least that's my plan. Yeah. So, um, second paragraph. Glad to see David as the permanent co-host. While Sholo's Sholo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. While solo shows are fun, don't get me wrong. I mean, I could listen to something like Pad Smash <laughs> all day. <laughs> wow, I don't even know what that is. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it's always nice to hear a conversation about a subject. Kind of feels like you're being spoken to and more like you are listening to a conversation at a bar or someplace. And let me tell you, no offense, Steve, a bar is a great place to listen to a conversation about comic books. Actually, I've I've, I've heard it before and well, you and I met once in, in uh, Joplin, and it was really, we just kind of picked up and just started talking about random comic book stuff. Yeah, see? It's no problem. And it's pretty it's just, much what you hear on the show. And the com the conversation isn't bad. It just depends on how much they've been drinking and what they've been drinking. Well, true. We were having Kryptonite Delight at Super Tam on 66. Right? Yes. You, you had like a run had a milk Coke. drink. Yeah. yeah, I had a Coke. Sorry. I, I don't like drinking Kryptonite. It's a thing. I'm, I'm above it. <laughs> anyway, Steve continues Nice to see Metamorpho go Well, nice due to the fact that maybe the song can finally get out of my head 
He didn't like the song? Metamorpho, metamorpho. <laughs> I ought to play it just now. I'll probably put it behind this just for Steve. There you go. You're welcome, Steve. The one thing I find interesting, and I guess I didn't realize this until Michael Bailey's Batman podcast mentioned that Green Arrow had stories in Detective, is how long both of those titles, Action and Detective, still carry the illusion of being anthologies. As much as one backup in an issue can be considered an, an anthology, I guess. Right till the end of the pre-crisis era. Um, I guess it is pretty much an illusion. I mean, this is Superman's book, and I don't think anybody saw it otherwise. No, they, uh, basically, yeah, it, obviously it's a Superman book. He's on every cover still. Yeah. But, yes, he, uh, he's right on that, though. Uh, basically, up until the end, actually, usually, has, it does have, usually has a backup story, but usually it's not Superman. Well, they brought that, that back later down the road in the, the pre, just barely new, before the pre-52, new 52. Yes. Where they had, like, an Adam story, and then they did have a Jimmy Olsen story. Yes, and before that was Captain Adam, I think, too. Yes. Is it Captain yeah. Adam or well, one of them? One of those Adam people. Well, the Adam's the one that gets little. The Captain Adam's the one that's, like, in the silver suit. And he blows stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. And Steve finally, <laughs> yeah, he says, I kind of wonder why it took so long for the titles to finally be utterly and completely dedicated to one specific character or set of characters. In the case of action during New Krypton and the first part of Grounded and Detective, when Batwoman took over for a little while. Well, Steve just made the point we just made. Yeah, it could be, <laughs> yeah, it could be editorial, but when the same guy does the, t- the titular title, is doing the main book as well, does it seem odd that the backups were still non-Superman related? I don't think so. Um, it, it is a little weird, but think about it this way: um, you've got Superman as the head as the head guy on the book, and at this point, he was still one of the most popular characters. So, it, the back having a little eight-page backup starring another character was a good way to kind of give you a sampling of other books and of the other characters in the DC universe. So, I don't think it's that odd. I just think it's kind of cool that they did that, and we will be covering all the backup stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's a nice way to test out characters like, well, what Steve says here. Well, spoilers, Human Target should prove to be an interesting side adventure for a while. Did you ever watch the show when it was on Fox for a couple of seasons? Till next time, Steve. I never got a chance to watch it. I didn't either. But then I again, think I watched maybe ten minutes of one episode, but... I do no, remember I... they were the Rick Springfield Human Target, for those of you... Ah, uh, yes, didn't watch that one either. Yeah. I didn't even know there was that. Yeah. But no, I didn't watch the Fox ones. I th- I think by the point by the time it came on, I was kind of busy trying to do like podcast stuff. Kind of. Yeah. You so, miss a lot of TV when you're doing podcasts. You miss a lot of TV. We've got stuff on our DVR for that uh, we still have to catch up on, and that's uh, last Christmas. Oh wow! We're almost a year later. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. So we. Uh, I know. And that's just. My wife and I, I don't even know about how yours is. Um, the whole second half of the, the most current season of Doctor Who, I haven't watched yet. I'll see. see so it's see. not just you. Yeah. yeah. There are books that I have not read. And wow. it's all for you, dear listeners. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I, it is November now. I have not read any of the New 52 comics yet. <gasps> I know. I have some. I just haven't read them yet. They're sitting in a pile. <laughs> in a plastic bag and a board in, in board and bags, ready to be read. They just haven't been read yet. I've been rebagging and boarding most of my comics. I went through 400 bags and boards, and so now finally the Superman portion of the collection is finally all bagged and boarded from some of the stuff I got last October. 
<laughs> uh, fun. Because Wait a minute. Yeah, I go last to... October. You mean October 2010 or just like last month? October 2010. Wow. Because that was my birthday present. I went to Hurley's Heroes and they bag their comics, but they don't board them, and I must have them bagged and boarded. So. Yeah, I don't like... I, I've ordered some online, and it's harder... Without that board, do you know how much harder it is to get the comic back into the dang bag? Yes. Good lord, you're gonna... Ki- I mean, you killed the comic just trying to shove it in that... Down- anyway. And then try to put it in a crowded long box. Good exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's got air in it, so it takes it more... Uh, it's rough. But thank you for writing in, Steve. Um, oh, thanks, Steve. And uh, I just thank you. Feel like I just read your... an email of his on Pad Smash. Oh, I did. That's right. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was gonna say, did you just read an email of his on Pad yeah. Smash? But yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! How about we dive into the books for this month? Okay. Um, well, first, let's throw a couple of promos real quick for some other great podcasts, and then we'll dive into the comics. How about that? Okay. If you want to do it that way, that's fine too. Oh, okay. Thank you. In the city of Metropolis, Clark Kent appears to be a mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet. Unknown to the world, he's also Superman, fighting a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. But before there was Metropolis, there was Smallville. Before there was Lois Lane, there was Lana Lane. Before he was Superman, he had adventures as Superboy. Dave's Amazing World of Superman presents The Smallville Chronicles, a Superboy podcast. A weekly look at the adventures of Superman when he was a boy. Featuring an issue-by-issue look at the pages of Superboy from his appearances in Adventure Comics and his own title. Find it weekly at AmazingWorldOfSuperman.com The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You earthlings can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatots, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak. Blind or hulk. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. But it shall sustain to the drain of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning 
Witness the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Forecast. ffcast.libsyn.com Presenting Superman. First up this month, we've got Superman 259, which had an on-sale date of October 12, 1972, and sports a December 1972 cover date. It had a price of just 20 cents, two dimes, with a Nick Carty cover showing a young boy using his crutch to shoot Superman. It's awesome. That's a lot of capage. Yeah. I, I like it, though. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm not saying I don't like it. It's just a lot of capage. Makes me think of I've Walt never... Simonson a lot. Yes. Looks like, uh, yeah, because it floats so high off the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story in this, because, 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 um, this story actually takes up the whole issue. It's a full-length novel, as they would say. Uh, the Kid Who Knocked Out Superman, written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Murphy Anderson, and edited by Julie Schwartz. And unfortunately, well, fortunately, actually, well, we'll get with that. We'll get there. But this story has not yet been reprinted. So a heavy winter snowfall, snowfall, mm. a heavy winter snowfall blankets the state penitentiary, which is unfortunate because the furnace is out of order, leaving the, leaving the everyone inside. Wow, I can't type on these notes. <clears throat> Let me try this again. A heavy winter snowfall blankets the state penitentiary, which is unfortunate because the furnace is out of order, leaving everyone inside feeling very cold. Inside one of the cells, Terraman pulls a sleeve up, you know, pulls up one of his sleeves to expose his TM brand tattoo, which starts glowing when the villain starts concentrating on it. Suddenly, the temperature inside the building soars, which only makes sense since uh, once everyone looks outside the window and sees that they are now surrounded by miles and miles of worthless desert land. Meanwhile, back at the former site of the state pen, Terra Man gives an ultrasonic whistle, which summons his mighty steed, Nova. And this is actually a pretty cool way to get out of prison. Make the prison leave and I thought, you stay I thought, there. I thought that was one of the better parts of this issue. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, where was I? Okay, meanwhile, back in Metropolis... Clark Kent is in the middle of anchoring a newscast when he's handed a special bulletin about Terra Man's escape. Needing to investigate as Superman as quickly as possible, even though there are still two minutes left in the broadcast, Clark uses a combination of X-ray and heat vision to rearrange the graphite on a cue card from two minutes to ten seconds, then ends the broadcast early without getting into trouble. He then runs off, changes to Superman, and flies off toward the state pen when he suddenly finds himself in the grasp of Terra Man's lasso which somehow splits the Man of Steel in half at the waist and causes the hero's legs to start attacking his upper half. After failing to ward off the attack, Superman remembers that Terraman is a master of illusion and figures that the lasso must be affecting his mind. Unfortunately, he's not strong enough to break the rope, so focusing on the trigger image of Billy Anders' cat and whispering, Lynx, that wasn't a whisper, but uh, Superman's super strength returns long enough for him to break the lasso. He then flies toward Terra Man, who uses some stardust to disappear. While Superman is busy getting upset at himself due to his lack of super strength, Terra Man ponders what is wrong with Superman, because he noticed the Man of Steel struggle with the lasso, then concentrate really hard before finally being able to break it. In fact, Superman had focused so hard that Terra Man's mind was able to pick up the mental image of a lynx cat, which he has drawn on the ground so that, ne- Neva? Wow. So that Nova can track it down. Not long later, Superman is flying to go visit Billy Anders when suddenly an earth tremor rips open a fissure right under the WGBS TV tower just as Superman conveniently is flying overhead. 
Meanwhile, Nova has tracked the links to being somewhere in the apartment building at 344 Clinton Street. Sound familiar? Yeah. So Terra Man lights up a cigar in a code-approved book, which turns him, <laughs> which turns him into smoke, and allows him to easily check all the apartments until he finds the links with Billy Anders, who we also learn still has not recovered from the injuries he suffered several issues back, and is now covered in bruises. While a doctor believes that Billy has somehow lost his ability to heal, Terra Man enters Billy's mind to find out what happens and learns all about Superman suffering from the boomerang effect whenever he uses his super strength, and that Superman solved the problem by transferring that portion of his powers to Billy. While he's learning all about this, Superman is busy concentrating on the trigger image of Billy's cat and whispers Lynx so that he can use a couple of girders from the TV tower to bind the fissure back together. In one panel, we see Superman literally mold the earth back into place. That's pretty cool. He then completes his trip to Billy's apartment to learn that Terra Man showed up and took both Billy and his cat. Meanwhile, in an invisible spaceship that still gives off a shadow, Terra Man puts Billy's cat inside an energy cage that acts as a telepathic shield, causing everyone who has ever seen the cat to forget it ever existed. Later that day, Superman sees a TM brand signal in the sky and is then met by a tornado that quickly settles down to reveal Billy inside. Billy then uses his crutch to hit Superman with a proton blast, knocking him out as Billy turns into Terra Man. When Superman comes to, he's inside a large hollow, hollowed out border. Border? Mm -hmm. He's inside a large hollowed out boulder. Terra Man's image is on a canteen and it explains to Superman that the boulder has been specially prepared so that the only way he can escape is to use his super strength. This wouldn't be too much of a problem, except that Superman can't remember the trigger image he needs to use to get his super strength back. Meanwhile, inside Terra Man's ship, Billy is trying to find a way out when he notices the scratches on his hands, which somehow allows him to remember that he has a cat. Remembering the cat shatters the telepathic shield around the links and allows Superman to access his super strength so that he can escape. He then follows Billy's thought waves back to Terra Man's ship, and once inside, the Man of Tomorrow uses Terra Man's advanced technology to build a psionic transferal unit to transfer Superman's super strength back to him. As Superman activates the unit, we cut to Terra Man, who is currently relaxing on top of an armored boxcar that is being towed by Nova at great speed. When he states that no one can take it from him, he is surprised to hear Superman ask if he would mind if someone tried. So Terra Man then fires his gun at Superman's face, distorting his vision long enough for the hero to miss tackling Terra Man, who uses that opportunity to command Nova to accelerate to full speed. The added friction causes the boxcar's wheels to melt, and soon Nova and the boxcar take to the air. Superman and Terra Man are tussling on the boxcar, and Terra Man is able to grab his gun, loaded with a teleporting bullet, and aim it at Superman's back. But what he doesn't see is Superman reach behind him and bend the barrel back toward the cowboy. When he shoots the gun, the bullet actually goes back and hits Terra Man, teleporting him away with Nova following close behind. After returning the boxcar, Superman tests out his super strength by punching, by punching a large rock and learns that there's no more boomerang effect. An unknown amount of time later, Superman visits Billy again, who reveals that all his bruises cleared up and he can walk again, which agrees with Superman's theory that the strain of containing his super strength is too much for a human body, and that once it was returned to Superman, Billy's healing ability was restored. 
He then flies off, hoping the Terra Man is gone forever. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he won't be. But, um, yeah, I okay. This was a long story. This was a twenty-three pager. We don't get too many of those in the Superman in Action comics. Um, do you want to do your notes first? I, I don't have page by page, so yeah, this might this will go a little bit quicker. Um, what kind of David Lynch action is going on in this book? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I missed the setup here with Billy Anders. I don't remember that. Yeah, it was um, uh, Superman two fifty four. Um, Superman was it? Uh, what was he doing? You know what? I don't even can't completely remember. It was Superman two fifty four, which was episode further back. One of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, basically what happened is that super uh, the. This crew was supposed to be checking out space, but the cap I think the captain of the ship had decided that he wanted to actually take over some planets and Earth was going to be one of them. And they hit they hit Superman with some kind of energy beam that caused a boomerang effect every time he punched a rock or every time he used his super strength. Well, that's actually in the middle of the story, so we kind of got that. Yeah. But yeah, and he used a transfer unit to transfer a super strength to Billy. And Billy, it turns out, actually lives in the apartment building, and he'd been hurt the previous issue when um, the drummer for a band that also lives in the apartment decided to ride his motorcycle down the steps of the apartment building. What? Yeah. And This apartment he, building's crazy. Yeah, the cat actually belonged to this drummer guy. And he hit Billy... And I think that Nixley guy from uh, the the Kryptonite Nevermore story, mm-hmm. uh, he came back, and a combination of his whatever uh, some alien technology he had on him, and hitting the get being hit, Billy got hit by the bike and injured, and somehow his consciousness got transferred to the cat, so Billy was in was unconscious and they took him to the hospital and Billy had Billy as the cat had to get to the hospital to save the day or to reunite with him or something and then the next issue he does that and so there's this weird psychic connection between Billy and the cat and it's set up that if Billy and the cat are ever separated Billy's body just kind of goes into a coma and this is all I swear to god it's real no I believe you and I'll, and it's I'll go all, back and reread that yeah, it's all Denny O'Neill's story. Oh, never mind. Say no more. Uh, this is it, uh, They were both written by Denny O'Neill, and it was the last two Superman stories he did before he finally decided he'd had enough doing Superman. And enough doing acid. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, in fact, it is episode... Okay, the first, t- uh, the first part of the story was in Superman 253, uh, which I covered in episode 25. And then episode 27 covers the second part of that story. Oh, gotcha. I'll have to go back. When you're doing podcasts, for... you don't get a chance to listen to as many podcasts. I'm just Yeah, you don't get to re- listen to podcasts. You don't get to read stuff. You don't get to watch TV. See, it's not just sitting here for a couple hours and talking, folks. No, it's a lot of this work. Is, this is work. Anyway, um, what else did you have? I'm, I've never been a Terra Man fan. I've had very little access, but he—he's like—he's this big contradiction for me. He's all cowboy theme, but none of what he does has anything to do with cowboys. It's—it's it's an alien. Yes, alien 
and it's a, I just I could never get into Terra Man. So as soon as Terra Man came shows up, I'm like I'm kind of half in, half out of the story. It's a cowboy on a winged horse. Come on, <laughs> it's hard to get behind a villain like that, and and no wonder Black Adam broke you know tore him in half. <laughs> he is an old west guy though. He's, he's, yeah, I know the whole time travel thing, but yeah. nothing that he does. It's retrofitted. I mean, it's like they they created a character with a theme, and then completely disregard the theme by putting uh, all this alien stuff in. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but I tell you what, Carrie Bates likes using the character. Yeah, I know he shows up a lot. Mm-hmm. And always in a Carrie Bates story. Hmm. You hardly ever see anyone else write him. There's a reason for that. Yeah. But I'll, um, I'll let you do your notes because I, <laughs> I was half in, half out the whole time. Okay. Well, um, my notes, I, I do have page stuff. Page two um, is when Terra Man's focusing on his tattoo, and I got to wonder, why would he wait so long to do that? Wouldn't he do that, like, right after he got into the prison? There's another good point. Several issues ago, like almost ten issues ago, I think it was. Uh, page three. Um uh, I'm wondering how they're ever going to get that prison back from the desert. I don't think they can. I guess they got to build a new one. <laughs> they should probably install some air conditioning, though. I will say that's um, one of the most genius aspects of this issue, that that was a very cool... Yes. Very cool escape. Yeah, you can't... Lex Luthor never did anything that cool. Whoa. I know. Just let it go. <laughs> uh, page five. Okay, now, folks, you'll probably remember last episode how I complained about Leo Dorfman uh, having Superman's powers behave in ways that they shouldn't. Well, yeah, Carrie Bates does that here, too. I don't really see how a combination of x-rays and heat could rearrange graphite on either poster board or paper, uh, let alone without someone noticing either things moving around or, you know, the smell of burning paper or graphite. I'm not quite sure how that works, but it worked here. That's called comic book physics. Yeah, they, they don't, it's all they I don't can forget. Say. <laughs> yeah, if 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 the glasses is a secret identity worked, or you know, just happen the fact that you disappear when the Hulk shows up and you're always wearing purple pants works, then then the graphite can move around. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Okay. In this era of comic book stuff. Yes, that would work. I don't, excuse me, I don't think that would fly anymore. <laughs> but yes, these days that would work. Um, page eight. I think this was the first time we've seen Billy refer to Billy's cat. No. Well, actually, it was the first time we've seen Billy. But I think it's the first time we've seen Superman refer to Billy's cat since way back in Superman 254. And I'm pretty sure we've seen him use his super strength since then. And I'm not just saying, like, in World's Finest or Action, I'm pretty sure he's used his super strength in the Superman book, too. So, it's kind of like... I kind of feel sorry for Denny O'Neill in this way, because it's a second time that he's tried to do something to kind of help limit Superman's powers. And one, it's ignored. But two, this time, they actually cancel it. <laughs> so, I kind of feel sorry for Denny. But, on the other hand, this wasn't the best way to try to do that. Him losing half his powers because uh, he was fighting a sand version of himself. That's pretty cool. I like that. Him losing part his super strength because he he have this, uh, has a boomerang effect, so he puts it in the body of a... Looks like an eight-year-old kid. No. And uh, 
and I wonder how much of this is actually anything from like a plan from Denny O'Neill to actually have this happen. Obviously, he didn't write it, but I'm wondering if he had this kind of an ending in mind when he started it, or if it was just Julie decided, you know what, we need to kind of take care of this plot line and get back to normal. I would go for the honestly, I'd go for the latter. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Um, page eight. I thought it was really good coincidence that an earthquake would strike just as Superman is passing by. Now, this has nothing to do with Superman and his powers. This has nothing to do with anyone being evil and causing it to happen. This is just a coincidence that Superman's flying past the TV tower and boom, an earthquake hits. Now, this also kind of struck me a little bit because I live in the state of Oklahoma. And as we record this, the last two days, we've had about three earthquakes. You've had three? I think we've had one late last night. Yeah, we had we had one at like four-something on Saturday morning. Slept through that, didn't even know what happened. Okay, that may be why. We had uh, one last night at about, oh, what, 10 or 11-something? Um, that, that was the bigger one. That was like a 5.2. That was a pretty cool, because I was actually still awake for that. Um, that was... It was kind of spooky, but cool at the same time. And then apparently we had another one just this morning, but it was I was still asleep, so I slept through that one too. But so the fact that you know earthquake, it's kind of a coincidence. Kind of makes me scared to read this book again. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna make a comment about that, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, page twenty three. Now I'm pretty sure that Terra Man's gun. When Superman bends the barrel back towards him, mm-hmm. hey, Batman! Sorry, <laughs> no problem. I'm pretty sure the Terra Man's gun would have backfired rather than actually shooting the bullet back at him. I I thought the same thing, but it seems more like Looney Tunes physics than even comic book physics. But that may be that may be an alien thing. That's possible. It's an alien bullet. It's an alien gun, <laughs> and yeah, so we don't know, but. If it, if you tried that on a real gun, it would backfire, not, you know, anything else. Um, but despite those little nitpicks I had in my notes, I actually found this to be a pretty fun story. And I thought that the Swanderson art was actually really good, and it's been getting better since the, for the last several issues. And Yeah, I was actually, yeah, I will say it's gotten a lot crisp, a lot more crisp, not a lot crisper. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the colors. There's something about the palette they used at this time, I and mean, it's very—it's still kind of cartoony, but it's very earth tone cartoony. Yes, a lot more, a lot of browns and greens mm-hmm. and yellows, and Superman. And they use that bright blue for Superman, bright blue, red, and yellow. It looks really nice. He definitely stands out in the issue. Yeah, and the oranges—I like the orange. For some reason, I think it looks Superman looks really cool with like orange and green going on behind him. I don't know why. Yeah, I'll, that's I'll just that, me. Because I mean, it, it it's a contrast. Yeah, it's like a shock to the system. Thank you. Oh, thank you. But, <laughs> hey, no problem. Uh, but yeah, that um, that's all I've got. You got anything else on this one? No, I didn't have a whole lot to begin with on this one. I'll be honest. Oh well, sorry. I'm just sometimes. I see how it is. Sometimes you go to the well, you pull up the little bucket. Nothing. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, man. Glad you're on the show. No, I'm just wow. <laughs> Uh, anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. So, well, that does it for the Superman book. And after a couple more promos, we'll come right back with Action Comics 419. After these messages, we'll be right back. Gathered together. 
from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman Golden Age Superman The Superman Fan Podcast Superman in the Bronze Age From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast I've got a few things to say about Superman The Superman Vidcast The world's best podcast And Radio KL from supermanhomepage.com As well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton And Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton From Pendant Audio Productions Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Yunus, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more superman homepage.com superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in action comics magazine and, and our next book is action comics 419 uh, obviously cover dated december 1972 released on october 26 1972 well before i was born it has a cover by neil adams and murphy anderson which you will if as soon as you look at it you'll recognize in fact i have a folder that was sold about a year ago at uh, Target that has this cover reprinted on it. Yeah, it's a pretty popular one. Yeah, it has him leaping into the air, but the background is actually, it's a photograph, and I can see where it's been touched up with some of the color, but yeah, it's a gorgeous cover. Oh, yeah. But uh, the, the story we're looking at is written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Kurt Swan, and inked by Murphy Anderson. It is the most dangerous man on Earth... I just wanted to do the James Lipton thing. You are a delight. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, don't forget that it's the first time Julie Schwartz edited Action Comics. I was going to get there. Oh, I'll I'll take that out. That's okay. Leave it in. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so Julie Schwartz, first time out as full-time editor on Action Comics, which is kind of a milestone for this show, because now we're in the full-on Julie Schwartz era. Yes, shouldn't have too much of anyone else messing with Superman. Uh, yeah. Until you get to DC Comics Presents. I think that was under Schwartz. Never mind. That was under Schwartz. So yeah, so it should. It, this should be <laughs> all Schwartz all the time until the end. I see your Schwartz is bigger than mine. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, the story... Be- <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was yeah. that's a little more adult than we usually get on this show. Okay. So PG-13. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just a euphemism. Yep. Well, WGBS reporter Clark Kent reports while in orbit around the Earth with NASA's large space telescope, the LST, which I think is literally stands for Large Space Telescope. 
I hadn't thought of that, but that's a good point. I hadn't noticed that, but you're probably yeah. right. <laughs> with with the orbital telescope, you know, doing its orbit thing, scientists will actually be able to get a clear look at the planets and the stars without the haze of the Earth's atmosphere. And we're asked some questions. Why do hundreds of square miles of Earth suddenly seethe with explosive energy waiting to be triggered? How do a pair of discarded football boots and a rusted pistol combine to menace Metropolis? And, strangest of all, what transforms the mighty Superman into the most dangerous man on Earth? With the LST in fixed orbit, we turn our attention back to Earth, where a two-bit down-on-his-luck crook named Mo Malloy fishes a pair of football boots out of the Metropolis River. Uh, Mo realizes that the boots and the rusty gun he just fished out are all growing. Glowing. <laughs> They're <laughs> glowing, not growing. <laughs> he shrugs it off and chalks it up to the river's contamination. Mo gets a weird feeling in his bones and an overwhelming urge to fire the gun, even though he knows it won't work. But, surprise, surprise, it does work. Big time. He shoots it across the river in some sort of energy blast at the Metropolis Electric Company and creates an explosion. What a shocker. That's right. But Did a bad pun. And meanwhile, back at the... And what's funny is I didn't do that on purpose. It was in the write-up. I'm like, oh... <laughs> Oh, you know what? <laughs> Did you realize he was actually shooting a bird? No, I didn't catch that. He's shooting a bird, and it looks like it made the bird disappear and then went went right through it to the building. Oh, poor bird. Yeah, he's kind of a mean guy. He's a bad guy. Well, yeah, they're all mean. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the NASA spaceport in Metropolis, because that's where a spaceport belongs... Clark returns to Earth, feigning dizziness from the space flight, even though the astronauts he flew with would get sick just thinking about the places he's flown as Superman. And no sooner has Clark's feet touched the ground than the base is covered with little white bubbles. Explosive white bubbles, each one holding the force of a grenade. And Clark feigns fear and gets into the rocket elevator to hide, sending it up to the top so he can change into Superman. This is what he does, folks. Clark uses his super breath to freeze his flight suit so it looks like he's still standing in the elevator, and then gets into the action. He starts removing people from the scene, but one of the bubbles ignites a missile's rocket fuel, and Superman sucks the flames into his lungs and then saves an experimental aircraft. And as suddenly as they appear, the explosive bubbles vanish. Superman tries to explain that he didn't really save the day, he didn't really get rid of him, but he'll fly Clark Kent back to his office. So Superman flies away with the Clark Kent frozen Clark Kent clothes under his arm. And he says he has some suspicions on why the bubbles appeared at the exact moment his feet hit the ground. So Superman does experiments and touches it down again. And sure enough, as soon as his red boots hit terra firma, the bubbles appear again. So until Superman figures out what happened to him, he has to stay airborne at all times, even as Clark Kent. And the next morning, Mo Malloy robs the Metro Savings Bank with his souped-up gun, taking down an entire exterior wall with one shot. And a couple of cops as well. <laughs> and news of Malloy's exploit... Well, he doesn't hurt the cops. He gets rid of a cop car, I should specify. Yeah, the cops still... still yeah. The cops survive. It's still code-approved. Uh, the news of Malloy's <laughs> exploits on, is on television as Clark tries on a zoot suit at a costume shop in preparation for the upcoming Jitterbug competition... At the Nostalgia Night Dance that, Mor that Morgan Edge is putting on. Uh, if you don't know what a jitterbug is, it, it, it's an old school dance. If you don't know, probably save yourself the Google search. It's better that way. Uh, <laughs> Clark is floating off the ground. Oh, 
Yeah, Clark is floating off the ground and hopes Lois doesn't realize that he's a fraction of an inch taller as a result. Even though he has the capability of flight, Clark is using super compressed air from his nostrils to keep himself in the air. And Clark gives the costume shop owner his address on Clinton Street, as Malloy also looks up the address for an amateur astronomer that lives in Clark's building and is holding priceless space rocks. So Malloy figures there's an easier way to turn a buck in Metropolis and goes to visit the space rock hoarding tenant, knocks him in the back of the skull with the butt of the gun. And Malloy goes to shoot the lock off the chest with the, the that is holding the rocks and shoots straight down into Clark's apartment, where Clark is floating and enjoying a glass of milk when the bullet shatters the glass. And Clark uses his x-ray vision to see Malloy taking off with the rocks and switches to Superman meeting Malloy at the apartment's door before Moe can leave. Moe takes a shot at Superman and the Man of Steel's body absorbs the energy blast and then redirects it to another building. With no control over where the energy blast will go, Superman blows Moe over with his super breath and notes that the gun loses power for a moment as Moe is in the air. Putting two and two together, Superman uses the weight of the space rocks to turn the apartment's floorboards into a bit of a teeter-totter and lift Malloy into the air and then pins him to the wall with a fireplace poker. So Malloy is now powerless and Superman suddenly realizes that it was not his body that was altered to, to cause the explosive bubbles. It was the LST, which has the cosmic dust caked on the lens, turning starlight into strange energy. And Superman gently burns the atomic dust off of the lens, and Malloy's power source is gone. And so, now able to touch the ground with the day saved, we leave Clark Kent as he jitterbugs with Lois. It's a dance, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not very good at it. No. <laughs> and the zoot suit looks ridiculous. But <laughs> I will give the floor to you, sir. Okay. Um, pages one and two. I had two things I wanted to point out there. Number one, in real life, a reporter would not be allowed in space like that. I have the same note. Okay. <laughs> because they have <laughs> because... a huge battery of tests. Yes, they do. A lot of physicals and all kinds of things. and Yeah. And I, I think I remember that Lois and Clark got to go into space on the first Brainiac story, too. And I don't think they would be... Anyway, that wouldn't be allowed either. Anyway, and then number two... That ship actually looks like a, an early version of the space shuttle. Uh, it's got the big cargo bay doors on top, uh, and they use it to land back at the uh, space center, or the spaceport. So it's like a reusable space vehicle uh, with the giant cargo bay door. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it seems like an early space shuttle. Well, when was the first space shuttle sent out? Um, the first space shuttle launched, I believe, in '81. Oh, they were pro they might have been working on it by this point um, because I know that they in the late '70s they had a space shuttle Enterprise that they used to test things like landing and stuff. But yeah, they didn't have their first official launch until '81 or '82. It was '81. Yeah. Okay. Well played, so, sir. Thank you. Well, it also makes sense because there is a technical assistance from Pete Simmons. Uh, credit, or excuse me, a technical assistance credit for Pete Simmons, director of space astronomy at the Grumman Aerospace Corporation. So it's possible that they got access to. Uh, maybe they were working on trying to figure out how to make a space shuttle by that point. I sure. honestly couldn't tell you. I know they've been trying to figure out something to replace the space shuttle for years now. So it's possible. Um, 
And that was my first two notes. The next note I have is also on page two. And um, I don't know how quick I'd be to put on wet shoes, no matter how holy my current ones are. Well, that and... Yeah, I have a note about that. Because <laughs> think about all the shenanigans that people do in Metropolis. Usually, there's all kinds of stuff in the river. I'm not worried about, like, wet shoes. I'm, I wouldn't want to fish there, because forget the, the three-eyed fish from the Simpsons. You might actually yeah. pull up, like, a turtle boy. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I'd, I'd think twice, maybe 17 different times before I tried to put on some wet shoes out of the harbor. But, you know, whatever. It's it, it's a, it's a story. But, yeah, um, I don't like wet shoes when I've had them on and I just step in a puddle. Yeah. I would, especially since it doesn't look like the guy's wearing socks. <laughs> no thanks. I'd, I'd wait. <laughs> um, at least let them dry out first. Um, page four. I just realized that Clark, it looks more like he's going on a safari rather than to outer space. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, he's got kind of the jungle outfit. All he's missing is that hat. Yeah, the little the, the little pith hat. The, pith yeah, helmet. the safari. Yeah. yeah, the safari hat thing. And page eight, I had the same note uh, as you kind of mentioned during your synopsis: is why can't he just float? Yeah. Uh, why does he constantly have to be blowing air through his nostrils? First of all, I would think there'd be some super boogers he might be shooting Ooh. into the floor that can cause damage. Um, but Excuse me. If you think about it, won't he eventually run out of air? Well, that and how does nobody feel a, a gust of air that's able to lift a full? I mean, Superman's two hundred pounds plus. Exactly. Plus, he'd be not kicking up dust on the ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Lois would notice him going all the time. I would notice it. Yeah. And um, but yeah, that 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 has always gotten me about this story. But page eleven. You mentioned that he shot at a lock, but there's a coloring error there where they don't actually color the lock. It just blends in with the rock cabinet behind it, and it took a minute for me to actually figure out what he was shooting at. Yeah, it took me because I too. <laughs> it looks like he's literally just shooting at the floor for no darn reason. <laughs> at first, I thought, okay, maybe he's gonna cut the thing off the floor and then carry the whole box out. But I was like, wait a minute, why would he do that? But. Uh, but yeah, it was rather convenient that he hits Clark's glass of milk. Straight down. That apartment building's crazy. I know, there's all kinds of crap going on in there. I wonder how Billy's doing with all this ruckus. <laughs> and then, uh, oh, and on page 12, I feel sorry for the guy's door. Superman just busts right through it. Yeah. Nice entrance. But, but not very responsible. Still, Obviously, Superman has some spare doors that he can come back and replace it with because he's really good at fixing stuff. Well, I'm sure there's insurance for that, right? I mean, oh yeah, Metropolis. I'm sure. Yeah, Superman insurance. I'm sure. If there's not, there should be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but beyond that, I thought it was a, actually a pretty interesting story. It wasn't great, but it wasn't that bad either. No, it was there's... fun. There was a fun element to it. Oh yeah, and <laughs> yeah, it's definitely better than the last issue of Action. And I have also, and then I didn't finish my note, so I don't know what I was going to say, but um, I guess you're up. Okay. You didn't finish it. Which note? Well, I wrote the word also. 
Oh, okay. You, I, <laughs> thought you, a... meant you I thought you. Oh, now I understand what you're saying. I thought you meant oh, you yeah. just didn't read the note. Oh no, no, no. I, I wrote the word also, and there's a comma, and then that is it. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on there. Well, some of my notes I put it. You know, I just kind of commented on yours. But going back to page four, Clark jumps in the elevator to the rocket tower. Why, if you have explosives on the ground, would you get into a very high point in a structure <laughs> that could be toppled very easily? Exactly. It's a long fall down. I mean, I'm surely Clark's fine, but wouldn't the astronaut throw some common sense out at him? And why didn't the astronaut save himself? Yeah, that the yeah. <laughs> I didn't notice either of those, but yeah, a good point. But kind of continuing that thought on page five, he, he, Clark starches his clothes with super breath. I mean, that's so it looks like he's still standing there, but wouldn't it be obvious he doesn't have any head and doesn't anybody notice that he Superman comes from the same tower? Uh, well, I guess he takes a different path, but... Well, yeah, the Superman part might not be so bad, but the lack of uh, the head could cause a problem. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously everyone's too busy looking at the bubbles on the ground. The bubbles then... and the multi-million dollar experimental aircraft. Yes. Bear yes. in mind, oh. we're still in the Cold War here. Yeah. You don't leave those kinds of things sitting around to be photographed by spies. No, you do not. Especially not the XJ-2. Why does that sound familiar? Uh, the, the, one of the rockets in Superman was XJ-101. Okay, thank you. Or XK-101. One that's something like that. Yeah, I noticed the same thing too. And you know what? I just thought of something else. These bubbles reminds me of a prankster story. Ooh, I see, yeah. That and scrubbing bubbles. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. But I want to say, what was it? That was probably the first time John Byrne introduced them Mm -hmm. post-crisis. And he has all the bubbles in the streets. Oh, no, that was actually causing things to sli- be slick. But this totally seems like a prankster kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I see that totally. Mm-hmm. Um, now, moving on to page 10, we don't have a great villain here. We have Malloy, who's apparently not smart enough to realize that while you're stealing priceless space rocks, where are you going to sell them? That's a good point. Because the people that have the money for the the space rocks, the ones that actually want it for some whatever scientific purposes, aren't going to buy them because they're stolen. Yes, you can't really just black market them. Yeah. What good's it going to do to like a mob boss? Uh, ransom? I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm just. Yeah, there. Well, yeah. Uh, we just figured out our own problem. Never mind. Disregard. <laughs> Yeah, yes. I like that Clark's drinking heavy with that glass of milk. That is a tall glass of milk. Well, you got to think, though. He's probably disappointed in the milk because he's from Smallville. They have farms there. Even when Ma and Pa sold the farm and they worked at the general store, there's still access to fresh milk. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah, why I thought of it. That's milk. random. Yeah, city milk. <laughs> it's also pretty cool that he was holding the milk that far out in front of his table so that the blast didn't hit the desk too well yeah you don't want to replace that Mm-mm. end tables are, are expensive things in the 70s of course was it just last issue that we saw Clark in his apartment with the um, last I think it was Superman from last issue didn't have it with the mysterious Mr. X or something oh yeah and he, it was yeah and it was a hugely detailed apartment that looks nothing like what we see here yeah this is a totally different apartment <laughs> well, Clinton Even Street the chairs. Seems, yeah, Clinton Street seems to vacate quite often, so yeah, he just moves cool. from apartment to apartment. He doesn't need to be in 3D the whole time. 
That's possible. Well, plus, you know, he's got a hole in his ceiling now, so I'm sure the, the insurance covers enough for him to just get some new furniture and everything. <laughs> Why not? Or maybe some putty from Ace Hardware <laughs> down, down there. There you go. And it wasn't until page 12 that I realized we really didn't get a whole lot of action until the end of the story. We had the, the rescue with the bubbles, but there's no big villains, just a thug with a gun, and we don't get this encounter till later where the energy right. redirection happens. I'm like, that would have been incredibly cool to see at the beginning. So Superman has to avoid Malloy until he can figure it out. It just mm-hmm. didn't seem like Superman was really trying to figure out why he couldn't touch the ground that, that hard. Yeah, well, he didn't have much time. This was a, <laughs> he looked like he was trying to figure it out. On the, yeah. This is a quick story, too. Yeah, it's not often that you see Superman in a big fight in an apartment. True. And... On top of that, I mean, we didn't really get a great explanation of the of the cosmic dust. How is it able to do this? I mean, it's, it's not... unpredictable. It's cosmic dust. It says it right there. The scope passed through a cloud of unpredictable cosmic dust. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> Who was the guy that kind of gave the? Hold on, I'm going back to the first page because I think we should uh, get a hold of Pete Simmons here. Yeah, Pete Simmons has some explaining to do on on how a cosmic dust on a lens can make somebody create explosive bubbles or explosive just explosives. Well, see, the other thing is they should have been able to see cosmic dust floating in space, so they probably wouldn't should have not like unleashed or unleashed. Yeah, it sounds evil that way, but released this the uh, telescope with a cosmic dust storm coming by or something. Well, yeah, really. Maybe. But yeah. Or we should have at least seen it in the picture on the first page. That would have been nice. It just kind of came out of nowhere, the resolution. Yeah. Well, you have to, because there's only a page left. <laughs> I, I know, but... See, it's unpredictable cosmic dust. It has something to do with co- with the cosmic rays. And, I mean, no two members of the Fantastic Four have the same powers. Oh, I was so. going to make a Fantastic Four joke. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I killed it. It's okay. I'm still new at this whole co-host thing. It's okay. You didn't know. <laughs> we'll get past it. We'll eventually be able to... In the future. Like, oh, David's going to be making a joke about this. I'll leave that one alone. I'll make sure I leave you notes. Uh, Fantastic Four joke here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I'll read it and make sure I don't think that you want me to make a Fantastic Four joke here. <laughs> well, overall, I mean, I thought the issue was fun. I mean, at least this part of the story was really fun. Even with all the kind of wacky... I definitely enjoyed the action or the Superman, the action more than the Superman, I should say. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's just little things where I'm like, what? And that kind of, I just, I forget that you have to read the Bronze Age with the same filter that you read the Silver Age and just relax and have fun. Yeah, a lot of it, yeah. especially the earlier stuff, when they still haven't gotten there, gotten as far away from the Silver Age as they would later. Yeah. Well, you want to talk about the the backup feature? Yes. Yeah. And it's going to be cool. I'm going to use the theme to the TV show for this. There's a theme to the TV show. The Human Target TV show on Fox that Steve Rogers just mentioned in his email like that hour ago. That neither one of us watched. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that one. Okay. Yeah. Backup feature. Start, a new backup feature starts this month, featuring Christopher Chance, the Human Target. Um, his whole deal is, uh, well, he's a, let's read it right here. He's a man of steel-hard nerves and hair-trigger reflexes who stands in for people marked for murder in the hope that he can stop a killer before the killer stops him. 
And this uh, issue is the Assassin Express Contract, written by Lynn Ween, penciled by Carmen Infantino, penciled awesomely, I should say, inked by mm-hmm. Dick Giordano. And Christopher Chance takes a contract to pose as T.C. Newman, president of the Horizon Chemical Corporation, when Newman's co-worker Smithers accidentally hires a professional killer instead of a corporate spy. So Chance makes Newman a, dis- a, makes a Newman disguise to flesh out the killer aboard a train. And Chance is alerted in the middle of the night by a potential assassin who turns out to be a poor lost man with a broken arm who decides he's going to take planes. It seems to be safer. And when the conductor comes by to apologize to Chance for making a snide remark when Christopher tripped earlier and almost pulled the emergency brake, Christopher realizes that the conductor's watch wasn't in his hand when he left. And he actually searches out and discards the watch mom with seconds to spare. That's right. It's the conductor with the candlestick. Uh, Watch bomb. Yep. (laughs) Watch bomb. A chase chase ensues, which leads to the top of the train, where Chance springs the trap he set when he accidentally tripped, a device that brings the train from 70 miles per hour to a dead stop and throws the assassin forward to his pretty uh, violent death, I would assume. In the end, T.C. Newman is revealed to have been on the train the whole time, and he takes the opportunity to fire Smithers. (laughs) How do you... How do you... Well, I'll let you start. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, my first note is that this is actually the first appearance of the human target. Oh, really? Ever? Ever. I did not know that. I thought he this had said some smaller here and there things. Nope, this is it. Um, everything I, I double-checked this time, and everything I saw said that this was the first appearance of the human target. Okay. Um, but I th- And I thought that this was a really fun story. Um, it actually, I actually liked it a little bit better than the Superman stuff this month. What? I know, I know. Well, it just seemed like there was no weirdness and no real big loopholes. It just seemed to all make sense. Kind of, yeah. It was straightforward. Mm-hmm. It was very straightforward. And I, th- and I, I really enjoyed it. I look forward to more of them. I liked the art. Um, this was before Infantino started. Um, I don't know, sketching or as Michael Bailey says, using a ruler or a straight edge to do all of his art. But <laughs> the art looks really good here, and Giordano's inks doesn't hurt him at all. In fact, it makes it look even better. Uh, the only problem I had was that I'm not completely sure what the device was that Chance set up to activate the emergency brake. Yeah, it never it, shows it, really. No, it it shows some, It looks like he, a hammer or something flings up. But how would you? How would he be able to put that on there without anyone noticing? You know, <laughs> especially that fast. Exactly. It really is a oh oh I tripped. Um, I think I mean if you look at the panel where he actually does it, um, what we would know later is the disguised Newman is actually right next to him. So I don't know. If oh, I hadn't even noticed that. Yeah, I don't know if he set it up uh... in conjunction or. I hadn't even gone back to look for the disguise in him, but that you're right. Excuse me, he's right there. It's a, huh. It still doesn't completely explain it, though. No, but, but overall, yeah. I mean, I, it, I didn't feel like I had to justify it in the way they had to justify Terror Man. Right, right. Plus, it's more of an art thing than the writing thing. So the story still works. It's just they didn't. I guess Infantino didn't do as good as we would hope. We would as we. <laughs> that we expect him to. Yes, he did. He his art did not explain it very well. No, 
That's called storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I had the one question is, how do you mess up hiring a corporate spy versus a professional killer? <laughs> well, that's exactly why you get fired, because you're apparently inept. Well, you apparently... And did the name Smithers, did that make you think of The Simpsons reading this? Yes, the whole time I kept hearing Smithers. Ah, Smithers. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Smithers. Um, the one big one, I mean, I didn't have... Uh... I didn't have as much to justify him, and this was something where it's enough between the panels that you could assume that there was probably some sort of response, but if you go from 70 miles per hour to dead stop, I know the conductor gets flung off, but how does does nobody else get a broken neck? Yeah. But at the same time, there's enough remove that maybe there was injuries and we just didn't see the emergency response. Exactly, yeah, there still could have been injuries, but it, it, it they had something they could have hung on, held on to or sure. bumped into, and he kind of became a smear. Did you notice, though, that that is the most plain font I've ever seen on a sound effect? When he flies off and it just goes, ay Aye! <laughs> That's just... It's the Wilhelm scream. Yeah, it, <laughs> but it's just... That's uh, well, wow! It's, it's not even well. I can see why because you have that really wicked cool scree sound at the bottom. Right. You don't want to upstage that. No, but it's, I think it's the first one I've noticed. One. It's just it's just black block letters. It's very simple. And then sort of a stick figure flying forward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it kind of, he's got that mighty mouse streak behind him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, overall, yeah, it was a fun story. I. I I'm not a huge human target fan, uh, primarily from lack of exposure, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm curious to see if they can actually keep up the uniqueness in the in these stories, because it's a pretty straightforward concept that could wear thin really quick. Yeah, which apparently it did after two seasons on Fox. But Ooh. I'm sorry, but yeah, I um, no, I, I I actually like this. I don't know, it's just something different. You, I guess what Steve was pointing out, you know, he's got all those different stories in the back in the backups on action. Mm-hmm. And most of the time we're going to be covering like other superheroes, Green Arrow, the Atom, uh, Aquaman later on, uh I think Air's um I can't think of his Airwave uh eventually gets something later on. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so we get those and then this is Human Target. He's not super in any way. No, it's a spy story. So yeah, exactly. the variety is so kind of nice. It's very much, yeah, it's very much a different. I think that was probably part of what what made me feel it was more enjoyable because I, I don't know, not more enjoyable. I probably shouldn't have said that, but it's just so different than the other. We've been, we've read two Superman superhero stories, mm-hmm. and then we get this little eight page, no, ten page, um, kind of spy detective kind of story. And it it kind of was like a James Bond thing to me, because he's got the disguise, he's fake, pretending to be someone else, and at the end he ends up having the little device that allows him to stop the train. So, yeah, but yeah, it was just so totally different from a superhero book that it just was like it's kind of like a breath of fresh air almost. Yeah, not that a little bit. the and, other stuff wasn't fresh. Well, I I kind of dreaded doing that part with the synopsis, and I realized no, this is actually kind of fun. Yeah, it's a really cool story. I'm actually looking forward to next issue. Yep, same here. And note, 
And apparently I was wrong last time. The X action feature Metamorpho will appear in World's Finest comics, so watch for it. I think I had mentioned it was going to be over in Jimmy Olsen's book. Because that's what they had said at the end of last issue, that the Metamorpho feature would appear in future issues of Jimmy, and now it's going to be in World's Finest. You know, they change their minds a lot. Yeah, they do. But it also gives me another uh, reason to play the Metamorpho theme for Steve. <laughs> but thanks, Steve. <laughs> Steve. Um, the funny thing about this is, you mentioned that the the Superman story wasn't reprinted. The Superman in action story was not reprinted, but the Christopher Chance story we just read was actually reprinted in Best of DC number thirty. Yes, it was. <clears throat> yes, it was. Yes, by That's all right. means. <laughs> Which, for those keeping track, had a uh, cover date of November 1982, and it it looks it is weird because I I looked that up and it the cover just says De- Detective Comics and it has a whole bunch of different detective stuff and with a cover that looked like it was drawn by Jim Aparo. Really, mm-hmm. I did not know that. I didn't look it up. I just got the information. I assumed if somebody wanted to pursue it, they could. Yeah, well, that's a fine. That's a fine. I talk like Jar Jar now. <laughs> That's a fine. <laughs> Superman bombad. Yeah. What's a doing? <laughs> just a gonna let them all die? <laughs> oh, yeah, we probably should. I'll probably cut that no, out. No, would you leave that in? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, no bad things from that other than making fun of Jar Jar Binks. Oh, that's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. But anyway... um. Did you have anything else on that one? No, that was pretty much it. It was a good issue overall. I mean, Sweet. if I was a kid in 1972, this would be a very satisfying read. Yes, I think I think we got some pretty good stories for your second episode. I thought so, yeah. After these messages, we'll be right back. Yeah. Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. It was for this moment that we were created. But I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe. Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green, Green Lantern's, Lantern's light. light. Green Lantern's Light, 
a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today. Say the oath. Join the Corps. Green Lantern's Light. Available monthly at greenlanternslight.com. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Bad Girl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Bad Girl to Oracle is a podcast and site dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the Bad Girl mantle for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1985. The goal of BTO is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Batgirl and continue on through her current tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at vintage issues of Detective Comics and Batman and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I examine Barbara Gordon's appearances in the media, such as TV, film, etc. I've been blessed to be able to interview writer Brian Q. Miller, and I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Please visit us online at batgirltooracle.net and look for us on iTunes. Thank you. Next up, we have ads. Ads! Yay, ads. Um, Let's see. So inside the front cover. And Superman, we have a Daisy rifle ad. How about you? Yep, Daisy BB target trap for $1.99. Sweet. Because that's what every kid shoots with a BB gun. And it comes with the purchase of any Daisy Daisy BB gun, which is a $4 value. Wow, really? Wait, is the target... Oh, no, no. The target is a $4 value. Oh, okay. I was going to say gun. I was going to say, wow. <laughs> Inflation really affected that gun. <laughs> that that really does look like a pretty good gun, though. I'm sure it could From probably kill a few pigeons. Oh, yeah. And the, the picture in the background looks like a couple of guys in the safari. I'm betting only one of them has an actual gun. Is that Crocodile yeah. Dundee? It, it's got, he's got his hat. Oh, okay. But I don't think so. That's not a gun. The, the, kid, may, the kid could be crocodile gun it could be it could be uh, the crocodile hunter for all we know hey now we know his origin <laughs> crikey crikey <laughs> you call that a gun yeah. <laughs> or a knife you call that a knife no this is a knife ah good stuff um let's see then we have five six pages of story and then uh the next one is joe weeder hey weeder what uh joe or maybe it's waiter but weeder's free bodybuilding booklet yeah, it's spelled differently. <laughs> uh, yeah, but still. <laughs> so no relation. It could be a cousin far, really, really far removed. The changing of the German, uh, the, the anglicized version may have gone differently yeah. for him, but in German it's still Vader. Ah! Uh, yep. You're Vader. Yeah. Um, Jay Vader. Yeah. I'm, anyway. I, I don't think I'm related to Joe, Joe here. Probably not. But in fact, I think that would be the uncle I wouldn't, you know, talk about. Oh, we don't talk about Joe. He's a juicer. <laughs> if he's still alive. Um, then the next ad page we get, which is a couple more pages in. Sea monkeys! Sea monkeys, people! And I think, I, I, I'm not completely sure, but I'm pretty sure this ad has been used repeatedly since the 60s, judging by the look of the people in the picture. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's That's old school. And if sea monkeys really looked like this, that would have been so cool. I would have had some. But they don't. 
Even a six-year-old can take care of the sea monkeys without help. Um, sure. They eat very little, keep their water clean. Yeah. Anyway, and then also you could get, like, three big drafting kits. And then train with them at home for a high-paid job in drafting. So do they come to your house, or is it I guess. correspondence? I know there's no internet. Uh, I'm thinking correspondence. Oh, a drafter's table. That's not bad. You get a slide rule and everything. So then Carmen Infantino can change his art style. Yeah, that, that, he prob- that's probably what he did. <laughs> it's on ad in his like, book. Oh, this ad, I wonder if I can get a discount. Did he? I wonder if. Anyway, I'm think I'm going to start going off. I'm like, I wonder if he did get a discount. <laughs> he probably, did, you know. Well, then I realized we're doing this whole conjecture thing, and none of this probably ever happened. <laughs> well, yeah, good point. Your mind makes it real, Neo. <laughs> oh shoot. Okay, so further on, we have superhero stick-ons. See, I don't have that one. Oh, now see, I. It's kind of ironic too, because I just saw Scott Gardner post how these are the best. This is the best comic book related thing ever or something like that. But it's the classic stick-ons where you get your favorite DC superheroes and you can stick them on your wall. Oh yeah, I remember these. And these actually remind me of those, uh, what do they have now that they do with the sports figures? I'm trying to, the, uh, the big head. Oh, crap. Big head. big head. They're called big heads. It kind of reminds me that I don't know if they're the same size. And obviously these aren't people, these are drawings. But yeah, it, they look pretty cool and they look pretty for the 1972 modern Supergirl's got her modern costume. Green Arrow's got the goatee. So yeah, this looks really cool. And you can not only put them on the wall, but you can also put them on a door or a notebook, in a lunchbox, or in a car with a fox. What? Green eggs and ham. Oh, sorry. Yeah, wow. I'm sorry. I, I kind of messed it up. Went right by my... Yeah. <laughs> and then the next page after that... Oh, wait. What did you have instead of that? I had a big double page ad uh, for Ooh. Corgi. The Adventures of Corgi Boy, which is kind of scary, but it's all these different models. You have dragons and mostly cars. Corgi wow. actually made a supermobile because it was actually they did, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, it's diecast and. Oh, that's right. Is that uh, like seventy-nine or eighty when they have the little diecast, like a Batmobile and a bat boat and a bat yep. and also the Daily Planet delivery truck and stuff. Yep, and apparently that's expensive now. Oh, I would imagine. Well, I don't get the cool Corgi stuff, but the next page has another ad. Coming in December, DC's Christmas gift to you, Shazam, is coming. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Say it, Billy Batson. Say the magic word. Shazam! And you become, boom, the world's mightiest mortal. Watch out, Superman. Here comes the original Captain Marvel. Ooh. You realize how ironic it is that they're saying watch out, Superman, since <laughs> Captain Marvel actually went out of existence because DC sued them because he was outselling Superman. Exactly. It's a circle of life. And it's, it's, the art on this is still cartoony, but it's still really awesome looking. And while the little part in the middle of the ad shows, I guess, what Captain Marvel looked like in the Golden Age, the bottom part has new art by C.C. Beck, the creator of Captain Marvel, drawing Captain Marvel again. And it looks awesome. I think it's funny they made him look more like Superman when they brought him over to DC, because he lost the flap on the chest. Yep. And, yeah, he lost the flap, the it's a slightly different thunderbolt, and they have him squinting. 
Well, he's supposed to look like Fred McMurray, so... Oh, well. I mean, it almost... I mean, it doesn't look totally different, but it looks quite a bit different when you look at the original picture from the center of the page to the other one. Do you have this ad in your book? I don't, and it's killing me, because I, oh. I love Shazam. Oh, I've got to find a way to scan that in. If somebody okay. has any inkling of doing a Shazam podcast, <laughs> get on that. I would yes. love that. We'll listen to it. We'll promote the heck out of it. Just just do it. Yeah. That'd be awesome, because I don't have enough Shazam stuff for that. I don't have enough um, time. Well, I don't have time either. Yeah, there's a reason for the, everything. Uh, let's see. Next up, we have the SSP Wind Tunnel Tested. I have this one, yeah. Yes, which... Those cars look really weird looking. I'd assume it's the ones with the... Yeah, no, I see. I don't assume anymore. The weird strip, kind of like... Uh, oh, I wish I remembered the Masters of the Universe vehicle, but yeah, you get the idea. You put the strip uh, in, and it pulls the gear. You pull back, yeah. pull back the cord, and... Yeah, and they have a GT Coupe, a Blue Monday, and a Flare Pair. I think I'd go and with the Flare Pair. That looks really... I don't know where you'd sit. Maybe one of those little blue windows. But yeah... I like the flare pair. That's the coolest look. It doesn't even you don't even see the wheels really. It just looks like it's floating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that looks really cool. Um, let's see what's next. We have one of those big pages. Well, big pages. One of those pages with like a thousand different little ads. And the Raquel Welch pillow. Darn tootin'. She's looking pretty smoking on that picture. I not that you can really look at it that closely. Um, I I, can, I zoomed yeah, it's oh, yeah. it's it's a full length body pillow of Raquel Welch. Yeah, it is. And this is before she got old. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> there's a werewolf horror mask and a secret book safe. Joy buzzers. Uh, the beast from twenty thousand twenty thousand fathom fathoms. I can talk. A jackpot bank, which is basically encouraging kids to gamble. You got a Raquel Welch pillow, which is encouraging kids to, you know, check out women. Do, yeah, and do other stuff that doesn't involve gambling. And the X-ray There's, specs. Hey, wait a, a minute. The secret spy scope. I'm starting to wonder if Frederick Wortham was right. <laughs> <laughs> well, they showed the lady, but he's got to look through his hand first, so it's not working. Yeah, but the implication is there. You can learn how to be a ventriloquist. How is that, and, that going to benefit me? I don't know. How's a silent? They also give you a silent dog whistle, but if you don't have a dog, you don't know if it works. That's <laughs> just the meanest trick. <laughs> it's, it's like find a kid that doesn't have a dog and say, "Here, have a present. It's free." I just pictured, I just pictured kind of like the the kid from Dumb and Dumber with the the blind kid with the bird. Oh God! Except this would be little I, Billy with a dog. Pretty dog. I got a whistle. He's whistling. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. He's still waiting for the dog to show up. It's terrible. Oh, poor kid. That was the scenario but, that went through my head. Thank you. <laughs> and we got uh, the the two half page, but completely works together. Ad for the little uh, uh, navy men from Task Force, which has boats and planes and and people in tanks, and then Tank Trap, which has people in tanks and army men that shoot stuff and apparently and while the first page while the top half shows the people in the tanks winning the tank trap one shows a lot of dead tanks and a person lying dead at the top of the tank and the tanks actually explode that is so cool 
I don't have that one. Thanks for rubbing it in. You've got this really epic battle going on, and I've got Kids (laughs) Magazine. (laughs) Four kids by kids. And it looks that way, too. Four kids did some really bad job of dubbing anime shows on Fox Kids after they took over Fox Kids. Really? <laughs> but they did bring us the really good, uh, a really good version of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, which which version? The the twenty the two thousand three okay. version or whatever. The more yeah. updated version. Yeah, not that the first one wasn't bad. The first one was the one I lived off of, but the newer one was a little more. It was a little less kiddie. And what's funny is I love the episode where they crossed over with the original animated series. Oh, yes, that was so awesome. And then they met the original ones from the comics, and the ones from the comics thought that they were, like, the annoying, silly ones, just like they had thought the cartoon, the other, the older cartoon ones were the silly, annoying ones. Oh, it was awesome. Um, then there is a never-finished high school. Now you can get a diploma without going back. Ed? How does that work? Um... Is it a good see. enough good enough diploma or yeah well apparently it's i guess it's a correspondent thing uh wayne's specially prepared lessons make each make even difficult subjects such as much easier to take and wayne grades your assignments in private by mail you're free from competitive classroom pressures you stay relaxed and your progress is much smoother it'd be awesome if it was really a guy named wayne yeah, well, it's the Wayne School. Yeah, I know, but I'm, oh, I, I, I just you. thought it would I, be funny. I'm sorry. I I got you, like like Wayne's World. I, and I actually pictured Wayne Campbell. So there you go. See, dude. Anyway, the, on the inside back cover, we have the Charles Atlas ad featuring not only the kick the sand in the face guy, but also Charles Atlas looking like it's a picture. I'm sure he doesn't look like this in 1972 um, because I think that same image has been used since like the, the 20s yeah he's been around for a while I'm sure he yeah. oh he might you know what he might be like uh, Jack LaLanne or the guy with the eyebrows the juicer guy okay yeah, yeah, he, he might just live forever um, then Aurora we're for real has four ways to get the AFX racing set you want for Christmas and they have these little reminders that they have on the back page which uh, they're telling you to cut these out we're in your comics Ruin your comics, and then you could post like one of them in a carton of eggs, one on the windshield of your parents' car or dad's car. Sorry, it has to be dad's. Uh, one on a briefcase, which I'm guessing is your father's. Bri- yep, your father's briefcase, mm-hmm. and one on your father's shaving mirror. So I guess it doesn't matter how many times you tell your mom; it's your dad that decides whether or not you get a racing set for Christmas. But yeah, so basically, they want you to cut up your comic book and put this and stick these things to uh yeah yeah there's a lot of that 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 actually went up through the 80s yeah i yeah well even i guess even then at that point comics weren't as much collected that that was one of the things that always got me though it's like every you know you want to get these comics and it was at the height of the era when everyone's talking about you know um but you make 20 different types of covers holographic covers, the platinum, the chromium, chromium, and, and making up words for the covers. And then they have their ad things in the inside that tells you cut out this, clip out this coupon to get your subscription. Coupon. Exactly. And you do that and no matter what cover you got, that automatically kills the value of the book. Well, and some of those were actually ironically in a book that would be pre-polybagged with a trading card. 
Yeah, so like you Superman might have 75, yeah. Batman 500. Then, of course, we have elsewhere in the DCU, or DC multiverse, pardon. A copyright and, infringement. No, kidding. I know. Plus, you know, they use that on um, From Crisis to Crisis, and we don't want to take something away from another Superman podcast too much. I wonder if they... Well, I think Michael Bailey's starting to catch up. I don't know if Jeffrey listens, but that's okay. <laughs> um, He won't hear me say that. Uh, let's see. So, first up... We have Ghosts, number 10, which is now monthly. Does it need to be? I guess so. Okay. <laughs> it's got four stories in it, but it's a normal-sized comic book for 20 cents. So, I don't know. That, there's got to be some really short stories. Um, then we have Our Army at War, number 252. It's actually a pretty cool-looking Joe Cooper cover. I was going to say, that's sorry, it's, Sergeant Rock looks pretty hardcore. Yes, he. You know, I don't. I'm not a fan of all of Kubert's art, but he's the only one that can draw, in my opinion, can draw Sergeant Rock right. Yeah. Some some others come close, but he's the only one. He's he's got the definitive one, I guess, is what it is. Um, then we have Weird Worlds number three, and it looks like we've got two mostly naked people fighting against the Cyclops with a tail. You know, the more I see of this. And I don't mean I, this. I mean it's more Tarzan, but I want to. I want to get into weird worlds. I need to find some of that because I remember seeing the ads in some of the old 1970s books I had. Oh, really? It's just a little um, bit of curiosity. From Beyond the Unknown, number twenty, which is got a weird-looking cover. Weird sea creatures, red sea creatures. They're gonna catch <laughs> those people picnicking on the shore like that. Uh, Weird Western Tales number 15 and I want to say that this is a pretty popular cover or a famous cover but I can't picture it where I've seen it before but that looks really familiar it's a Neil Adams cover featuring El Diablo and versus the Gravedigger Gang I don't think I've ever seen it to be honest I don't know that uh, I don't know something about the uh, El Diablo on his horse looks really familiar to me but I'm not sure there's Young Romance, number 189. That's a pretty intense makeout session on that cover. That is. They're upside. That's almost Spider-Man 1 Almost. Yeah. And it tells you, what do you do if you're shy? Pretty much you wait at home and get on the internet to find a girl. Um, <laughs> GI Combat, number 157, with the new Haunted Tank. I didn't know they had a newer one. Isn't it pretty much still the same concept? <laughs> I would imagine if it's a haunted tank's a haunted tank, but I, I never read the old one, so I don't know. I never read the new one either. Then Justice League of America number one hundred three, featuring the Justice League, apparently all dying at once, and judging by the title, and the image on the cover, I'm going to tell you that Phantom Strange is a guest star. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, see, it looks like Phantom Stranger, and the the title is A Stranger Walks Among Us, so. I'm not having to be, like, super smart to figure that one out. I don't think you're going down the limb there, no. No, no. It ain't Spectre. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Uh, The Witching Hour, number 26. I think that's a dead woman. I think so, too. And it's Mm -hmm. got the comics code seal. Yeah. How's that? That's that's why we can't see her. Well, yeah, but you can see the witch. Well, she's not walking dead. I guess that slides right under it. Yeah, witches are allowed now. That's why we have so many of these scary books. Um... Secrets of Sinister House. It looks like a little kid riding a dragon and chasing his dad. Kill the monster. 
Uh, let's see. And super. Oh, Swamp Thing number two. The second startling issue. With a really cool looking Bernie Wrightson cover. Yeah, boy. Bernie Wrightson draws some awesome stuff. You know what? Actually, looking at that, it makes me think of early Kirby and Simon work on Captain America. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, it does look really awesome. You remember when he's in World War II, but doesn't actually go to World War II? He's fighting. He's fighting the like the spies at home. Yeah, who are yeah, all? Cause, well, er, yeah, we weren't. Yeah, it's kind of cruddy. Oh, uh, wanted the world's most dangerous villains number four. Not to be confused with the other wanted. Yeah, it's totally different, and there's less like cussing. Is this a reprint book? Yes. Ah, uh, yes, yes, it is. Okay. And it has two stories: one featuring Solomon Grundy versus the Golden Age Green Lantern, and the other story is. Master Man versus Kid Eternity. Dun, dun, dun. Never heard of him. You've never heard of Kid Eternity? I'm kidding. Oh, thank you. I just don't know much about him. Yeah, me either, but you had me scared for a second. Um, Flash, number 219. The Million Dollar Death Trap. And also featuring the next installment of the Green Lantern Green Arrow team-up. Because Green Lantern... Between, because neither character was popular enough at this time to actually carry their own book. That's so odd to think about. Yeah, especially now that Green Lantern's got like seven books. Mm-hmm. And a movie. Yeah, let's uh, skip over the movie. Yeah, next up, uh, Weird War Tales number nine. And we see a whole army of people frozen. That actually looks really cool. Though. They're Vikings. Are they? Yeah. They are Vikings. I didn't, okay. I didn't catch that at the first. Yeah, that's Vikings. Minnesota Vikings. And, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, world, they may be in Minnesota. You never know. You never know. Uh, world's Finest Comics, number 215, which, like <gasps> I mentioned, we're not covering anymore. But it is the beginning of the saga of the Super Sun. Batman, number 246. How many ways can a Robin die? Uh, usually blowing him up works. Yes. After meeting uh, yeah. him relentlessly with a crowbar. It, it worked that one time. He got better. Uh yeah, this time he looks like he's been hung. Been hung, not is hung. Different. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I didn't catch. Um, now I have that the cover credits for this issue uh, just showed Dick Giordano, but I swear that looks like Neil Adams penciled it. Uh, no, the mask is a little bit different than how Neil Adams. No, you're okay. right. I see what you're saying. I don't know. Anyway, uh, totally. Uh, we got Batman coming in and seeing Robin. Looks like he's been hung. But it's a, it's not a super duper dynamic cover, but it still looks really cool. No, it's known. It's well known. That's something that you see. That is a well known one. Almost yes. you have when you have any books about Batman. That's a cover that pops up because that was something they were doing a lot with Batman. Was really killing scary. Robin. Yeah, killing Robin left and right on the cover. <laughs> well, that's what it says. How many ways can he die? Well, no, then so. it happened a lot. That was their shock yes. value with that book. Yes, yes. It's it. Yeah, even since the Silver Age. Mm-hmm. Um, what the heck just happened there? Okay, then we have Commandy, Last Boy on Earth, number two. Yeah, okay, that's great. The Year of the Rat, which um, Bra- Batman Brave and the Bold, I think I mentioned before, has really gotten me to like Commandy a little bit more. I don't have any of the issues. I found a whole bunch of them in the dollar it bin, but I didn't get them. But I want to say it was like, there was like tons of them. I have no desire to read Commandy. Well... It, it just seems like it's pretty interesting. You, you know, there is a Superman story that ties into it pretty uh, in a couple years worth of stories, right? Well, that's down the road, yeah. 
Yeah, we got ways. Uh, Star Spangled War Stories, number 166. Another Joe Kubert story. What a shock. And I think some guy's about to get shot. Uh, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, doing the pose from Crisis on Infinite Earths, number 7. Before it happened. Before it happened. Hey, wait a minute. So that me and the people standing... That oh no, see not that I thought George Perez started that. Hmm. That was supposed to be a big trope, but no. Didn't the Dark Phoenix saga happen before that? Uh yeah. Did it have it too? Yeah. The hmm. Cyclops holding Gene. Oh yeah. For some reason, I never well, see, connected that. I never put much thought into it, but. Well, see, I've only got one of the early trades of that, and it doesn't actually uh, show the covers, so I didn't know. I can find uh, out. Not at the moment. Well, yeah. We'll, we'll come back on that later. But anyway, uh, Lois is dead, and she's a bride. And she was killed on the honey on Super, and her and Superman's honeymoon, which makes it sound like an imaginary story, but I'm sure that there's something else to it. But they're surrounded by not only superheroes, but people that aren't super. Even Jimmy. Um, let's see. There's the demon number four. And he's a puppet. Drawn by some guy named Kirby. Yeah, that guy did the commandy thing too. I've never seen it before. Uh, then there's Girls Love Stories, number one seventy-five, which has four stories in it, but they have to be short because it's still a thirty-two page comic and they have the ads. Yeah, but what's in the what's in? Oh, I see. He's painting her, and okay, it's a torrid love affair with involving paint. Yeah, don't mind me, Barry. I'm only the the girl you're engaged to. Awkward. Awkward. I I love. The, I I think I've said this on a previous episode. Might have even been with you. Um, that the, the that's the only, best way to find out what the fashion is currently is to look at the covers of these young romance and girls love comics because they've got the vests and the bell bottoms and the fancy shirts and all that stuff that you don't see when you have Clark Kent wearing a suit. Uh, there's limited edition C20 Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Which I believe started like way back in the Golden Age. In fact, I know it did because I think I just heard John Wilson mention that back on his latest episode of Golden Age Superman. So once again, they're doing another... In fact, if this is 20 and you go back 20 years, that's only 52. So I don't know. Well, it's probably. I don't think it was actually in... Yeah, I think C20 uh, doesn't mean that there's the 20th Rudolph issue, but yeah. I think they I think it was Rudolph was a annual thing that they did every year for a while. Maybe I think that one's actually the tabloid the larger size. Yeah, it, it actually I can tell ages. you this now that I look. It's a buck. Wow. Wow. Those kids had it great. <sighs> Poor kids. Uh the Superboy number one ninety two featuring Super Baby with a bear. Yeah, he's freeing it. Um I'll eventually get to that issue. I don't think I guess we haven't mentioned. Yeah, I'm I'm doing kind of a spin-off podcast called uh, The Smallville Chronicles, a Superboy podcast which talks about um well, Superboy. Really? Right. I never would have picked Yeah. I didn't picture that. <laughs> it starts out at the golden age and goes forward from there, so you'll find that over at Dave's Amazing World of Superman at amazingworldofsuperman.com. Uh Adventure Comics number 425, the first issue without uh Supergirl in it. And I don't think we actually have any superheroes in this. Uh, They'll and the fix, cover looks... fix that before too long, though. Oh, I'm sure. The cover actually looks like it could have been a Golden Age cover. You just got a guy against a... Fl- uh, looks like Nova. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> actually. Oh, I see. The cover artist has done a lot of the pulp stuff. 
Yes. I see him he's out of the shadow. Yeah. But yeah, it totally looks like an old school nineteen or an old school golden age kind of comic, like before that they decided to put Superman on every issue of Action and Batman on every issue of Detective. But yeah, that looks really cool. Then we have Detective Comics number four thirty, which has a really cool looking Jim Aparo cover, and Batman's about to be unmasked. Dun, dun, dun. Nobody drew Batman like Jim Aparo. No, Jim Aparo was awesome. Yeah, much love me some Jim mad Aparo props Batman. from Jim Aparo. Rest in peace. Yes, and the guy did it for so long. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was still doing it. He was in. Uh, he did Death in the Family, if I remember correctly. Yes, he he went past that. He was the. He didn't retire from Batman. Until Batman 500. Okay, so I thought I was thinking he was around during Nightfall. Yeah, he did the he did the Nightfall, uh, the Batman issues of Nightfall, and then he stayed away from Batman for a while. But he would come back and do some guest stuff every once in a while. He did some issues during uh, uh, the Legacy storyline. He did some. He did a few issues of what you call it, Legends of the Dark Knight, and I know he did some stuff during the. Um, Cataclysm stuff. That far in, so we're talking like yeah. Batquake and all that. I didn't realize he got yes. that Yes. Uh, well, he, you know, this is after he retired. He, they brought him back for special stuff. Uh, I think he even did at least a cover for during No Man's Land. Uh, but yeah, I, I want to say that the when he came back and when he did the Legends of the Dark Knight stuff, that was in the aughts somewhere. I, there are it. I don't know if it was the inker or because of the fact that he was much older, but the, the art, he, it wasn't as good art as he usually does. But yeah, that was supposed to be. I think it was what was the story first time Joker went up against Rashal Ghoul. Oh yeah. Yes. Good stuff there. But <laughs> this is not a Batman podcast. This is not a Batman podcast. We could talk to uh, if if you have any questions about Jim Aparo, being Batman artist, uh, go see Bailey's Batman podcast, and Michael will I'm sure inform you of that. Uh, so, back to 1972, 30 years before what we were talking about, uh, we have the ape man, Tarzan, entering the mine of hell. Well, that's a cheerful little number. Yeah. You notice the guy on the one on the bottom corner looks like the guy from, the, from action number one? I was going to comment on that, yeah except, yeah. except if that guy was played by Eddie Murphy. Well, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's that. <laughs> um, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> There's uh, House of Mystery number 209 with another really cool Bernie Wrightson cover. And this one has a skeleton that's about to cleave a guy digging a grave. It's still code approved, too, so yeah. Uh, shouldn't be, but. Well, maybe they lightened up by this point. I don't know. Uh, Bernie Wrightson does another cover for the House of Secrets number 103. And that easily looks like a comic cover that, I could, that you could have seen like in the 90s, maybe. Oh, easily. Oh, very totally, easily. Very vertigo. Very yes. Vertigo or just, I don't know, some scary Marvel or... Well, yeah, more vertigo than anything else, but still I could see that. Yeah. Uh, last but not least, we have Unexpected, number 142, featuring Now I Lay Me Down to Die. And it looks like we have a... Well, it's a guy sleeping... In, okay, it's snowy. And it looks like a Neanderthal is busting out of his icy prison. And possibly ready to kill the sleeping guy as well. Yeah, I don't. Well, I would think it would be cold sleeping on snow like that, but you know, I don't know. He's covered. Yeah, he's got a blanket. It just looks like he's laying on snow. That would freeze my buns off. That's all I can say. True. But anyway, that's it for this month, or this episode. Yeah, this, that does it for now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we will be back in just two short weeks, covering the first issues with a 1973 cover date. 
Can you believe we're already to 73? We're almost born in this timeline. Yeah. We've still got a few <laughs> yeah, years. We're like a year closer than we were last year. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, anyway, thank you all for listening. And so, and everyone have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays. Safe travels. You, uh, yes. Superman may be invulnerable, invulnerable, but you are not. So watch out for the other guy. Yes, please do. And we will see you back in just two short weeks with the next episode, which I've already said, but we'll say it again. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at supermanpodcastnetwork.com, where new episodes are posted bi-weekly. Episodes are also posted at superbronze1970.libson.com, supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com, amazingworldofsuperman.com, and supermanhomepage.com. You can also subscribe to the show via the RSS feed and iTunes. All images, characters, and music used in the show for entertainment purposes only. No money is made by the show. Superman, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Thank you for listening, and God bless. Superman is also a copyrighted feature appearing in Superman DC Publications.